Well, good morning. I hope you have your Bibles with you. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Luke chapter 2. And if you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one right in front of you. And if you uh, go to the New Testament and go a couple books in, three books in, you'll find it. By the way, while you're doing that, you know, experts, I remember studying this in my uh, graduate school uh, work, that experts say that little children... The power of modeling as a parent or a grandparent is very, very powerful in little children. And I just wanted you to know that little one, that precious little boy that was doing the moves, <laughs> belongs to Dave Sullivan. So you, you may know what one of our elders is doing at home. I just so want to see Dave doing those moves. That would be my Christmas gift. You ever had somebody that you just want to introduce to others? I was chased down last night after church by one of the guys that used to come to our church. He lives in Virginia now. He chased me down and says, hey, I want you to meet my girlfriend. And he's running through the church trying to find me before I went downstairs. And, you know, sometimes there's just somebody you really want to introduce. Well, I really want to introduce us this morning to Simeon because Simeon really doesn't get a lot of Christmas press. I mean, how many of you know a lot about Simeon? Raise your hand. Maybe a, a little bit. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on Simeon before? Raise your hand. A couple more. You know, I did preach on Simeon a few years ago. You guys are pathetic. <laughs> that was a test. That was a test, and you failed royally. This is why pastors burn out so fast. Very unappreciated. Well, I want to introduce you to Simeon, but before we do that, let me tell you about Charles Elliott. Charles Eliot was the president at one point at Harvard University. He, he lived a long, long life. And during his 90th year, during the summer, he made his way slowly down the road from his cottage in North, Northeast Harbor, Maine, to the cottage of his neighbors, the Peabody's. He went into the home of Mrs. Peabody, who had just had a child, just had a baby, and after a brief conversation, Elliot asked Mrs. Peabody, do you mind if I hold your baby? She didn't know why he was asking this. She knew his reputation. She knew him as a neighbor. So she lifted her infant son from the crib and placed him in the arms of Harvard's most venerable president emeritus. And Elliot held that baby for a few minutes, and then with a little gesture of thanks, he just gave the baby back to Mrs. Peabody, and he said these words. I want you to hear these words because they're going to connect to who I want to introduce to you, Simeon. Here's what he said, Charles Elliott. I have been looking at the end of life for so long that I wanted to look for a few moments at its beginning. Isn't that precious? I want you to hold on to that. Because it's going to drive us straight to Simeon who takes the infant Jesus and holds him in his arms. Now you need to know what it was like in Israel when Jesus was born. The day that Simeon held that baby, the baby Messiah that we know as Jesus Christ, what was it like in Israel during that time? I want to tell you that Israel was mired, mired in a dark, dark period of history. And one of the reasons for this, you'll see it behind me from Matthew, was a man named Herod. Here's what he says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, 
king of Judea. Now you might be familiar with the Herod that separated the, the head from the shoulders of John the Baptist. You might be familiar with him. That's not this Herod. That's one of his children. This Herod, Herod the king of Judea, was way worse than Herod who killed John the Baptist. He was called Herod the Great. Listen, there's a reason he was called Herod the Great. He was a brilliant, smart, brilliant strategist, an incredible builder. But he was as corrupt and wicked as you could find. In fact, listen, Rome's policy, Rome's policy was, was to conquer a land and then install as the vice regent of that land somebody who would be loyal to their, to their empire. And Rome liked Herod, gave him a lot of latitude. And one of the problems, you see, one of the problems that the Romans had, believe it or not, terrorism was alive and well in the land of the Jews. In fact, there was this little band of terrorists called the Sicarii, which meant, the word Sicarii means little sword, and what they would do is that they would, they would go into a congested throng of people that have Gentiles, Roman Gentiles and Jews in that crowd and they would slip up behind them and they would pull out from underneath their cloak a little dagger and they would thrust the dagger home and kill the Roman citizen. And then they would melt away in the crowd before he could catch them. This was happening in the days of Christ, just before the days of Christ, rampantly. Herod exposes, finds, and stamps out this little terrorist group. And Rome loved him. He was an Edomite. That means he's a half-Jew. And the Jews weren't very fond of half-Jews. You might know him better because he descended from not Jacob, but Jacob's twin brother Esau. Esau, who was under a curse by God. You see, Herod was a ruthless protector of his throne. He even had three of his own sons killed. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Caesar Augustus, I introduced you, you to him last week, his real name, Octavian. Caesar Augustus said about Herod, and I quote, it is better to be Herod's hog than to be his son. He had a high priest named Aristobulus, and he drowned the high priest who fell out of favor with him. And Aristobulus happened to be his wife's brother, and his wife was not happy about it, so he killed his wife. It was his favorite wife. And of course, she has a mother, his mother-in-law, and she complained. And so he had his mother-in-law killed as well. He had an eldest son named Antipater who was as bad as his dad. You see, Antipater was complaining because Herod was living to such an old age that he felt he would never, he would be an old man by the time he had the throne. So one day he heard falsely that his father had died and he began to publicly rejoice that he would be king, but it was a false rumor. His father lived and once his father found out that his son rejoiced at his death, he immediately had him killed. And five days after that, Herod died. But on his deathbed, he had an order that he gave out to all of his soldiers and the order was upon his death to gather all the most prominent, the wealthiest Jews in Jerusalem, gather them together and when he died, put them to death. You see, Herod wanted mourning to go up from Jerusalem knowing that nobody would grieve his death. Thankfully, the order was never carried out. But the worst murderous act 
the worst. The Herod ever committed is the one that we're all familiar to, familiar with because the Gospel of Matthew tells us about it. And that is this, when the Magi, the three wise men, came to Herod. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. Jesus was not an infant at that time. Jesus was around two years old. When the Magi came to Herod, looking for the one who would be born to rule the king of kings, Herod, who jealously guarded his throne, sent them to go find the child and come back and report to him where he was so that he could go worship him. It was a lie. He wanted to kill him. The Magi slipped away, never telling Herod where this little two-year-old Messiah was. So Herod carried out an order and morning went up from, Beth, from Bethlehem because he killed all the little boys two years and younger. This is the time of Israel. See, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to do is introduce you to Simeon. And there's a reason, by the way, that jewelers... Put diamonds for you to see on a black backdrop. Because it's the blackness that brings out the contrast, the brilliance of the diamond. You see the brilliance of the diamond through the contrast of the black cloth. This is what I'm doing for you this morning. I want you to see accurately what it was like in the days that Jesus was born. It was bleak. It was dark. And when you see Simeon, Simeon is likely an old man and likely have, has lived through all of this dark period of the history of Israel. And all of a sudden, he's going to meet the Messiah. Do you see the contrast? Hold on to that, because I want to tell you a little bit more before we get to Simeon. You see, Jewish parents had four ceremonies after their first baby boy was born. You can see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, there's your first ceremony. First, on the eighth day, Jewish baby boys were circumcised, which to the Jews was an event of celebration. It set the Jews apart from all the other races, all the other nations on the earth. It set them into what symbolized God's covenant to his people. You're part of my holy people. Holy means set apart, distinct, sacred for God himself. Circumcision was an introduction into the holy covenant of God. And the father, by the way, usually performed the circumcision. Now, fathers, let me ask you something. How many of you participated in the circumcision of any of your children? Well, that makes me unique, doesn't it? As I have done that. It was because we had no health insurance at the time. And we had a doctor in our church and the doctor said, I'll, I'll circumcise your baby, but you have to help. I thought he meant bring my son to him. <laughs> he, when he said, bring the baby in, I'm waiting to hand him to a nurse. And the nurse says, no, you're to come in too. That was one of the freakiest moments of my entire life. I don't even know why I'm telling you it. Let's move on. <laughs> Secondly, 
The second ceremony is the father gave the baby his or her name, and we can see it again in verse 21. He was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So on the eighth day, two significant things happen. The father circumcises the little boy and names the child, all happening on the eighth day. And he names this baby Jesus. Now, you know what Jesus means, right? There's a couple derivations of it, but mainly it means Jehovah is salvation and he is my deliverance. But the word Christ, now listen, I'm surprised at how many of us forget this. The word Christ is not his surname. It's not the last name of Jesus like Ackley is mine. The name Christ is a title. Jesus is a name. Christ is a title. And it's a title that means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior. This is Jehovah's salvation and the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 22, and this happens 33 days later on the 40th day, when the time came up, came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So now we're at the third ceremony. Now listen, I want you to see, why am, why am I bringing this out? Well, first, there's a few reasons. First of all, doesn't it help you to know what they did behind the words of Scripture. It kind of brings life to this. For me, at least, it does. But secondly, you need to know, why was Mary in the temple? I mean, she's in Bethlehem. She's five miles southwest of Jerusalem. Why, why on the 40th day did she suddenly go to the temple? Well, she had to go to the temple, and she had to go to the temple for these two reasons. Third one, the third ceremony, was called the redemption ceremony. It was a ceremony that every parent had to observe for firstborn male babies. You see, the firstborn son was presented to God 40 days after birth. And listen, parents, we have to do this too. We just don't really have a ceremony for it. And what you're doing when you present your baby before God is you're acknowledging that the child belongs first and foremost to God. And in obedience to God's word, the Jews had a ceremony where you would literally hand that child, or metaphorically hand that child over to God. This is from Exodus 13. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. Every firstborn a man among your sons you shall redeem. So listen, here's how it worked. Remember Israel had 12 tribes. If your baby, fathers, if you're from the tribe of Levi, then your son was born into the Levitical tribe. And if you're from the, your baby's from the tribe of Levi, your firstborn boy, then that boy was destined to be a priest in service to God in the temple. If the baby's born in any other tribe, here's what they did. The parents had to pay what was called a redemption price, meaning they had to buy back the child from the Lord. Levitical baby belongs to the Lord. Any other tribe, the Lord says, you may raise the baby, but you've got to buy him back from me because it's going to symbolize what my son's going to do for you. And it cost five shekels. You'd go to the temple 
And in the court of the Gentiles are 13 inverted trumpet-based offering boxes. And you would take your five shekels to the priest, and the priest would take you to one of those offering boxes around the court of Gentiles, and you would put those shekels in. You paid the redemption price. You may now have your child back. God has so, in effect, loaned you his child to raise. We learn of this from Numbers 3, where God instructed Israel to give them all the firstborn males of the tribe of Levi and the rest of the tribes, you can per- the babies you can purchase for five shekels. By the way, five shekels was about a month's wages. So tabulate what you make in a month. You better be saving. So Joseph and Mary, they were saving. You'll see in a minute, they didn't have a lot of money. They're saving. She goes to the temple, Joseph and Mary. They put their five shekels. They buy back Jesus, who's born not in Levi's tribe, but Judah's tribe with the standard of the lion. He's the lion of Judah. They buy him back in the redemption ceremony. But there's one more ceremony on the 40th day, and it was called the purification of the mother. Now, moms, listen. If you have a baby boy, the 40th day... It's when you have to go to a priest and you observe the purification ceremony. If you have a baby girl, and we don't know why this is, it's the 80th day. 40 for boys, 80 for girls. And on the day of her purification, if she lived anywhere near Jerusalem, she would walk up to the temple through the gate on the east side of the court of women. That's as far as a lady could go to the court of women. They had the court of Gentiles inwardly, the court of women, the court of Israel, the court of priests, and then the house of God, the holy place, and the most holy place. And she would go to the interior of the court of women, and there she would bring her offering. And the offering for the purification ceremony, if you had the money, was a lamb and a turtle dove. It's a sin offering and a burnt offering, two offerings. If you didn't have the money, if you were poorer, then you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And if you didn't even have the money to afford that, then you could bring a bag of flour as your offering. Now look at verse 24. What does Mary bring? She brings a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. She doesn't have a lot of money, but she's not at the bottom of the poverty scale. She's in the middle, so she brings two turtle doves. And the priest would take these two turtle doves from Mary and he would sacrifice them and then declare her to be clean ceremonially before God. Now I want you to think of something for a minute. And we're almost to Simeon. Hang in there. You got to understand all this. Why was she in the temple? It was a dark era in Israel. When Mary buys these two turtle doves and gives them to the priest for her cleanliness before God, what she's saying for all of us who were raised Catholic is I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of forgiveness. That's why you brought this offering. And if she has faith, which Mary did, if you have faith, listen, the death of an animal was not what what they call meritorious. It was not effective. Just killing an animal in the temple did nothing. It was your faith that this animal, God was allowing this animal to be killed on my behalf to cover my sins so that I could be in fellowship with God. That's what 
the offering was for. It can't remove sin. All it could do is cover them. There will be an offering. I'm going to get to that in a minute. That can remove sin, but this one can only cover it. So the moment that she hands those birds to that priest, I want you to think what might have been going through Mary's mind. Certainly later it would register. Those, listen, those two birds, as all animal sacrifices in Israel did, were pointing forward to the one who will die on behalf of Israel and on behalf of people all over the world. She's handing birds that are pointing to the death of her own son in about 33 years. And all four of these ceremonies were fulfilled. And look at verse 39 of chapter 2. And when they had performed everything, according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, 75 miles north of Jerusalem. I've given you the backdrop. I've helped you understand why Mary, Joseph, and their little baby, 40 days old, are in the temple. Now let me introduce you to somebody I think is one of the greatest people, persons in the Bible. Simeon, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Let me just pause for a moment. We know nothing Nothing about his career. And I think the Bible does that intentionally. Forget what he does for a living and focus on the man. Some believe he might have been a priest. The Bible doesn't say it. Might have been a prophet. The Bible doesn't indicate it. We don't know what he was. We don't know what he did. But we know what he was like in verse 25. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. You see, Simeon was one of those people, men and women, known in that day by this title. Now, you got to listen to this. This is really interesting. They had a title for these people called the quiet in the land. Simeon was one of the quiet in the land who lived in constant prayer, constant watchfulness until the Messiah would come. Now remember, it was a dark time in Israel, but it was dark for more reasons than just wicked King Herod. Listen, there were very, very few righteous in Israel when Jesus was born. It's not flooded with devout, spirit-filled men and women. That's going to come on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God will come. But right now, it's a dark era spiritually. God has not spoken to His people for 400 years since Malachi closed His scroll. 400 years previously, God said, if you're not going to live faithfully to me, then I'm going to show you what it looks like, what it feels like for me to walk away from you. I'm not going to walk away. You're my people, but I'm going to shut my voice. You're not going to get any more of my inspired word for 400 years. That's how dark it was. Some of you have said to me, and I hear it often, when I pray, it feels like it doesn't go anywhere. Imagine 400 years of that. You're praying, And God has hit the mute button. 
And all around you, chaos looms. A wicked man on the throne of Rome, the most powerful nation in the world, a godless pagan pretend savior. You've got Herod on the throne for the Jews who is killing people left and right, godless half-Jew. It is a terrible, terrible time in Israel. And yet we see Simeon, who is righteous. Simeon, who is righteous. Now, I want you to... I want you to listen to this. What's it mean, righteous? Now, I'm going to really test your discipline because, you know, I can't compete with a beautiful baby. And some of you are so trying to not look away from me. I love this. This is great. And some of you are utterly failing. But I got to tell you, that baby is one of the cutest ever. Get to see him every week. Righteous means he had a right relationship with God. Listen, that's all that righteous means. It means you've got a right relationship with God. But listen, how do you get that right relationship with God? It's not by being a good person. It's not by doing enough good things. You become, a, you become right with God when you put your faith in God. And God takes that faith and he brings righteousness onto your soul's account. So that you stand before him, no longer under his wrath, no longer in your sin. You stand before him, innocent, declared, right. And peace is in your heart. This is Simeon. He is righteous. What's it mean that he's devout? Look at it. Look what this word means, because I'm going to kind of encourage you in your mind, sort of change that word devout for a minute, because it means the word cautious. He's in right standing with God, and because he's in right standing with God, his character is cautious, meaning he pays close and careful attention to his relationship with God and God's word. That's what it means. And he's waiting for the arrival of the Messiah who's going to deliver God's people. Listen, Simeon is a hero of the faith. We need to know him. You know what I like about the name Simeon? It means hearing. I always am asking little little kids. I asked somebody this morning. We've got a beautiful little girl named Mia here this morning. I asked what the name means. I never met a Mia before. Beautiful name. What does your name mean? Significance goes behind your name. Simeon's name meant hearing, and it's what he did. He listened to the Spirit of God. Look at verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now listen, I want you to think of Simeon for a second living in our day and age. Simeon, you might say, you know, the Mayans are predicting the end of the world. Messiah is not coming. I can see Simeon going, oh, it's, it's not going to happen. The Messiah is not here. The Holy Spirit said, I'm going to live until the Messiah comes. My, Mayans can't be right. The calendar's wrong. Simeon, don't go for that hike up at the Mount of Olives and into Gethsemane. You might trip. You're almost 90 years old. Come on, you've got to take care of... Nothing's going to happen to me. Messiah's not come. Listen, he heard the Spirit of God say, Simeon, you're not going to die before you get to see the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. And every day, Simeon goes to the temple. Every day, he is looking for the fulfillment of this promise. You ever heard God promise you something? Whispers his assurance to your soul. Maybe you're married to someone who's not a believer, and God has confirmed for you, wait on me, I'm going to work, don't worry. 
Or you have a child that's not walking with the Lord and God has confirmed to you, listen to me, I'm going to work, I'm going to bring your child to me, don't worry. You can bank on these promises, you can have confidence in the word of God. This is Simeon, devout and righteous. And I want you to see something really, really interesting. You see, the Temple Mount was massive. Likely bigger than you can even imagine. I'm going to give you acreage for the Temple Mount, 35 acres. We own 39 acres in Gradwell Switch, Lower Nazareth. If you've been out there, that is huge. This thing is only four acres smaller. It is gargantuan. It is massive. It has rocks so big, they can't hardly measure them. One of them is 30 feet long. It weighs over 50 feet or 50 tons. Walls as high as 100 feet. And that's not even counting the foundation buried 20 to 30 feet below the soil. This place is huge. See, Herod took the footprint of Solomon's house of God. That means the temple part, the holy place and the most holy place. And then he built out the courtyard so that the court of Gentiles was so big that you could fit thousands and thousands of people in just that court alone. And here's Simeon coming to the temple and he just happens to run into Mary and Joseph and Jesus. That's amazing. That is sovereign. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Look at the text there for a moment. The text says he took him up in his arms. I want you to rework that because that's not right in the English. Ready? Here's the right translation. It really means he received him. This is why the early church called Simeon the God receiver. Because he received Jesus. He held out his arms and the young parents handed Jesus to him to hold. Do you remember Charles Eliot, the Harvard president? Held that baby, wanted to see what life looked like at the beginning. He lived so long at the end. Here's Simeon, likely aged, we don't know, likely he's old. He sees Mary, he sees Joseph, the Spirit of God. He's hearing, he's listening, he's devout, he's living in in attention, careful attention to God's word. He makes it to the temple, he sees the three, he walks up to them and he holds out his hands and Mary takes the baby and puts him in his hands. You know, in Georgia one time, Denise and I will never forget this. We were at the mall, one of the big ones in Marietta, and we were, we were walking through the mall. Matthew was just a baby. Now listen, we're young parents. This is our first child. We're in the mall. And there's 50, I'm a youth pastor, so I've got a lot of patience for teens. At least I did. But I have a lot of patience for teens. That's why I'm a lead pastor now. And we're walking through the mall, and all of a sudden this 15 or 16-year-old girl comes up and starts going crazy over our little baby. Granted, he was and is the most handsome kid named Matthew who's 18 years old and an athlete in the world. So he is beautiful. He is excellent in disposition. This little girl, this 15-year-old girl takes him, takes him out of Denise's arms and runs away with him. She's got a bunch of friends and she wants to show the friends our baby. Denise, who you think is kind and full of grace and mercy... (laughs) 
was not so kind. And I think that 16-year-old learned a lesson. So here's Simeon. He puts his arms out. He receives the baby from Mary. And look what it says. He blessed God. Now, I want you to see this for a moment. We're going to camp on this just for a little bit. Simeon's about to sing. This is poetry. This is rhyme that you're about to see in the text. It's a song of praise, and it begins in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You know what the early church did with this? They called it in Latin a song with the title Nunc Dimittis. And they took it from the words which are in Greek too. Now I can depart. Now I can depart. What he's saying is I have met the longing of my heart, my chief desire, and this world now holds nothing for me. My life is satisfied, Lord. I can die in peace. You have fulfilled your promise to me. There's nothing greater in this world than this little baby Messiah. Man, I really like Simeon. I cannot wait to meet this guy. The greatest joy he had in life was to see the Christ. And he's holding him in his arms. And a joy filled him. And listen, I want you to hear this. A joy filled his heart and it left no more room for anything else. It was one thing in his heart at this point in his life. It was Jesus, a love for God, a love for the Messiah. And the world was pushed away. For my eyes, the text says, the song goes, have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Listen, Jesus is a light to the Gentiles who lived in darkness, spiritually cut off from God. They didn't have the Holy Scriptures. And Jesus is going to bring that glory to the old of the Old Testament to God's chosen people to Israel but it's going to be a light from Galilee a light that can shine to the Gentiles which by the way dominated the region of Galilee and the result for Jew the result for Gentile is salvation is now available friends how how should we celebrate the birth of Christ let's I'm almost done so let's just now Let's do this. Let's unzip our hearts for a minute. Take them out. And just hold them before God. You can do that metaphorically. Unzip, take it out, hold it before God. Where are you spiritually? I mean, you might as well be honest. Because God sees everything. Hebrews 4, you're naked and laid bare before him who will hold us to account. You've got your heart out there. Can I ask you a question? By the way, it's one I'm asking myself. Is there anything greater in your heart than your love for Jesus? Because here's how it's going to work. When your love for Jesus grows, your love for the world dims. And when your love for the world grows, your love for Jesus dims. No heart can have two masters. 
So you've got your heart out, it's before God, you're holding it, the light of the truth of the Word of God. Simeon's song is singing in the background, it's singing to you, and you've got to now ask, like I have to ask, do, can I really depart? Is there really, really the, the greatest desire in my life has been met in Jesus? Is that true? Is Nunc Dimittis the song of our hearts? And have we found Jesus to satisfy Psalm 107, the longing soul, and fill the hungry soul with good things? Have we found that to be true so that our heart does not any longer race after the fast food of the world? Don't you love Simeon? Don't you want to be Simeon? Don't you want to be able to say, now I can depart in peace because I have received Jesus. He lives in my heart. There's no room for anything else. Can I suggest that maybe this Christmas, as we all are going to be celebrating the birth of Christ, may I suggest that the best gift you could ever give to God is the gift of your singular adoration and worship. As He has now made your chief desire. And you put to death the longings of our flesh. And do not love the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father cannot be in them. Maybe that would be the best gift that you could let God open this weekend or Tuesday morning. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for Simeon. Lord, thank you for this hero of the faith. And Lord, as we have seen the darkness spiritually in Israel and all over the world set against that black cloth like a jeweler to see the brilliant glory and luminescence of the birth of our Savior. And we see Simeon, his heart respond, who is a righteous, devout man, who listens to you. And he heard you say, there he is. And he went over there and he held out his arms and he received Jesus, his Savior. And Lord, that story, maybe that's never, ever been lived out by a few people here this morning. Maybe somebody here has never stuck their arms out, the arms of their heart, and asked for Jesus to be placed in their arms. You've not yet, they've not yet been to the cross, they've not yet asked for forgiveness, they've not yet experienced by faith what it's like to be made right with God, to no longer be responsible, held accountable for our sins, yet given in your massive grace forgiveness. Lord, for those people here who have not done that, that would be the greatest gift they could ever open. There's a gift at the bottom of the cross. It's got their name on it. You open it by faith. I pray that they will open it. Lord, for those here who have opened that gift, who have stuck out their arms and have received the Messiah, Jesus, their Savior, Lord, I pray that we could sing the song of Nunc Dimittis. 
that there would be no more room in our heart for anything but our love for Jesus. And as we grow in that love, the things of the world would pass away. They would fade away. We would follow hard after you. We would live like Simeon, paying cautious, careful attention to you, our relationship with you and all that you have written in your word. And that we would hear from you. That we would be used by you to do wonderful things. Lord, some of us, I hope, will have a gift for you. And may you take great delight in opening it. And may that gift be we lay ourselves on your altar and say, you have me. I am yours. And I love you. May that be Christmas in heaven for you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.